0: Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Mike Force Podcast. It is, of course, your host Mike G. Today, talking about Libya as well as American Contendency. I actually used Libya as the title, and then I'm not going to mention American Contendency, and I'll tell you why when we get to the podcast. Uh, but we're sponsored. Uh, there's a couple sponsors that are companies that I use. Um, all the advertisers and partners for Philcraft and Mike Force are companies that we use. And the first one is 10,000. A big fan of 10,000 and their seven inch tactical shorts. It's the only short I use to work out. From rucking, running, swimming, biking, all the activities that I do in utility and functional fitness, the 10,000 short is the best short ever made. It was actually assessed and tested by Navy EOD, Green Berets, Rangers. I'm sure there's a Coast Guard guy in there somewhere. We tested these shorts to be the most durable, and mobile shorts available uh, a lot of the shorts that i grew up with in special operations weren't exactly the best you ever try to do a ruck in ranger panties um yeah good luck with that um if you go right now to 10,000.CC dot cc again that's 10,000.cc, dot cc and enter code mike force again enter code mike force you'll receive 15 percent off your purchase that is 10,000.cc. dot cc Enter code PhilCraft or Mike Force, just as a bonus because we, we have them both on PhilCraft and uh, Mike Force. If you didn't know, we have another podcast called the PhilCraft Survival Podcast. Again, uh, my personal experience with these shorts is they're the best in the industry, and I'm a big fan of utility, and I wouldn't leave you astray. Um, our next sponsor is Wild Alaskan Company. Uh, Wild Alaskan Company, when you defrost seafood, the countdown and freshness begins. If you know how, that, how long that fresh grocery store fish has been sitting out, you're likely not to get it. Um, I'm not a fan of uh, even inland-based seafood from the grocery store because obviously it's not fresh. But Wild Alaskan Company has frozen seafood, um, frozen straight out uh, off the catch. Uh, you could avoid the fuss of unhealthy sauces over seasoning and all you'll need is a few simple ingredients and you've got a delicious lunch or dinner for your entire family. Uh, wild Alaskan Company delivers high quality, sustainably sourced wild caught seafood. Nothing farmed. Uh, and we're talking salmon, cod, halibut, which are some of my favorites. And every month there are different specials to explore. Wild Alaskan Company seafood is how nature intended it to be. And you could adjust, pause, or cancel your membership at any time. They offer 100% satisfaction guaranteed or your money back. Right now, if you go to Wild Alaskan, and that's A L A S K A N dot com slash Mike Force, you could say $15 off your first box. Again, it's $15 off your first box when you go to Wild Alaskan Company dot com. All right, guys. So kicking off the podcast with. Uh, a, a special engagement about Libya because I said I would do this and people were asking me a whole bunch of questions about the specifics of that. So I'll talk to that point as well as the secret embed of Tom from American Contingency. So here we go. Hey, what's going on, guys? All right, let's talk Libya. Um, look, part of the podcast, I want to talk about uh, this experience I had in Libya, which kind of created this mindset or this headspace for uh, what I wanted to do with Phil Krauss Survival and also American Contendency. Um, been careful with how I kind of broadcast American Contingency, not because um, I'm trying to hide anything. But because we're getting suppressed massively across all platforms because of, I think, is like radical suppression across social media. Uh, we'll get to that in a bit. So I have a, a guest here who's operations and um, the director and manager of all things American Contendency since day one. And we'll get to that, but I want to kind of get to the backstory where. Uh, recently, I've been asked, especially because of my, I don't know, self-reliant take on all things away from institutions, including government, of why did you serve in the government for so long? Like if, if you're advocating for self-reliance, then why was that a thing? And it's a good question. It's, a, it's an absolute... Um, Essential question and understanding kind of everything unfolding and and my ideology on it. So, first and foremost, um, Libya was super impactful for me because up until Libya, I hadn't experienced this thing that was political influence, uh, whether it was from politicians, um, specific policies, um, or just government institutional interference. I hadn't experienced that. So, what happened in Libya created a different understanding of the world that I operated in. Now, remember, when you're a, a special operations guy or a military guy, you're, you're not um, a diplomat. You're not representing the country in a certain capacity. Well, in, in special forces, uh, specifically the army, and in some cases, other sister branches you are representing in some cases um, yourself in a diplomatic capacity that could influence strategic and, and obviously tactical change. So let's say I went to um, uh, an allies co- uh, country and I was briefing the ambassador uh, of that specific embassy in that country and then working with their forces. It would not be uncommon for me, as a team guy, of potentially breaking bread or building relationships with senior-level military leaders and officials of that foreign country. So, if I said something wrong, if I did something wrong, that would cause potentially an international incident. Um, I always train my guys in what's in something that's called executive communications which is something that I I took when I was in uh, Joint Special Operations Command, uh, a course that teaches you how to professionally brief generals, directors, chiefs of bases, chiefs of missions, uh, which include ambassadors, um, and senior level leaders, and maybe even politicians. Because you're not just a Green Beret on a flat range teaching firearms instruction, but you potentially could be in a very... Diplomatic position, influencing uh, policy and you know international relationships. So as an as a special operations guy, kind of doing my duties and responsibilities in war, I wasn't really privy to this kind of this kind of world. You know, in, in special operations, um, there's different names for the things that we do outside of the war zone, which could be uh, training missions. It could be Global Pursuit. It could be a whole bunch of different stuff. When, when I was in uh, USASOC headquarters, US Army Special Operations Command headquarters, um, I, had, I had went on a recruiting trip to recruit members for this organization at Fort Carson, Colorado, which is home of 10th Special Forces Group. It's, it's also home of the 4th Infantry Division. but. Um, I was in the compound of 10th Special Forces Group with one of the recruiters. I wasn't a recruiter; I was just there to answer questions for recruits or people who wanted to potentially come to this specific uh, special missions unit. And when I was there, I'm in suit and tie. um, I'm I'm kind of interested in what's going on in 10th Group, so I make the rounds. And I talked to a a sergeant major by the name of Bob Irby, who tells me that Joint Special Operations Command and USAFIC, Special Forces Command, is standing up this new organization called the Commander's In-Extremist Force, or Crisis Response Force, for the continent of Africa. So, not to belabor the task organization, because you won't remember it anyway, but there are. combatant companies that under in extremist circumstances, difficult circumstances, conduct specialized missions, including Haases Rescue, Special Reconnaissance, etc., because they're in the area of operation. It's like the equivalent of a a local SWAT team um, reacting because they're in the area to the incident and then having another element potentially fall into that position to conduct the operation, and that's me glazing over it because there's a whole bunch of things I can't talk about there. But he said that, hey, we're standing up this new element. I grew up in the military and special operations in the commanders and extremist force. So I had been to all the training, I was an assaulter, I was a breacher, I was a sniper. And at the time I was in a specific special missions unit where I had just made E8. Very young. I made the E8 list when I was 29 years old. And I was like, well, wow, you know, you're looking for people and you're hand picking them. Uh, what kind of guys do you need? Well, they need guys with SIF backgrounds, with reconnaissance backgrounds. And I was that guy. Um, so I grew up in the assault side, the snipe side, lots of combat rotations with those organizations. And so I had just made E8, and I said, well, is that something I could do? And and would I be positioned to pick my own guys and do this stuff? Absolutely, you could be that guy. So long story short, getting to the point of where, um, we stand up the commanders in extremist force. I'm a plank holder in the unit. I hand pick guys. JSOC helps us with all the uh, vetting and validation, and then, um, I get the warno, the, the warning order that we're looking at Libya, uh, at, as conducting. Uh, counterterrorism operations in Libya. So this is before Benghazi, which is September 11th of 2012. So I get told my team does. Uh, Mike, you're going to be the first to deploy. Um, you're going to take a couple of your guys. You're going to stand up this this program called a 1208 program. A 1208 is not a classified program. It's actually Googleable because it's congressionally mandated. Um, so th- the mandate is to. Stand up a counterterrorism force capable of countering, in this case, Al Qaeda and uh, Islamic Maghreb in Northern Africa. And all of the support, all of the facilitation will be, will be provided. It's funded. So I'm like, cool. You know, like I've done 1208 stuff before with JSOC. Uh, I'm the guy. So they, they let us know we're the guys. And so I start getting my team prepped. So in that preparation, I have an 18 Fox, uh, a special forces intelligence uh, sergeant, whose specialty is distilling information and intel to paint the picture. Like we need information, so he communicates to me and the team through these intel briefings that Libya has fallen apart. You know, Qaddafi has already fallen at this point, but there's a vacuum so we're trying to establish sovereignty, democracy, structure, governance, at the same time that um, there are terrorist organizations in the country attacking international coalition forces. It, it's, I'm, I'm, I almost shocked myself in saying that out loud because the idea politically and even civilly was that we had no idea that was happening and it came to a shock. To everybody in the community, especially the diplomatic community, the Department of State, that this would ever happen. Not only did we see it happening, uh, there were attacks that were happening daily against coalition forces and interna- the international community that was there, which was everybody, the French, um, name the country, Germany, France, they're all there. The UK, they were getting attacked. They were getting. Um, they, they were even in some cases getting vehicle-borne improvised explosive devices, which is an Al-Qaeda tactic and is like the worst of worst because it creates the most casualties. That was happening, which is rare, by the way. So we paint the picture and we start training to counter a lot of these things. So low-vis type operations, um, uh, mobility stuff, a whole bunch of stuff. Well, when I'm... When I get tasked for this, I have to do a key leader, key leader engagement with the guys from USASOC, my old job. So I fly back to Bragg. Me and the other sniper reconnaissance uh, operations lead go into this compound of this building of our old, old unit, by the way. And on that morning that we're supposed to link up with um, one of the team leaders to have a vehicle teleconference with. The ambassador of Libya, um, Ambassador Stevens, and um, uh, a couple of the lieutenant colonels on the ground to work through the strategy of this. We come in in the morning and find out, hey, something happened, and this something that happened was Benghazi. Um, we we all know the story: uh, two GRS guys, uh, Tyrone Woods and Glenn Doherty. Um, uh, uh, an analyst by the name of Smith, and then uh, the ambassador to Libya, uh, Ambassador Stevens, were killed. Um, part of that controversy was w- was there somebody available to respond and react to the things that were happening on the ground? And at every political, um, every single politician in the chain of custody of what happened said that there was nothing that could be done. And then there were even joint chiefs that said, I think, intention- like paraphrasing here, paraphrasing, he said something like, it's not realistic for us to tether um, military forces to react and respond to terrorist attacks um, across the entire globe for things that happen in Benghazi. And most of what I just said was almost exactly how he said it because it made such a distinct impact in me professionally and personally. What he said was exactly what my unit was intended to do. In fact, those units, which have existed since Panama, their sole intent and purpose is to be on the tether, on the pager, on the phone. To be able to quickly respond to incidents like this that happened in Benghazi, so not only was I offended because I was watching everything unfold and then told to stand down, but I know of many people in the organizations that were tethered to that same um, response time that were told the same. So I, you know, I'm operational. I'm a mill guy. I have to get past that. So I get on the bandwagon, which is guys get ready to, to deploy. Let's get our shit together and prepare ourselves for what's likely to be combat, which I'm all about. So um, I deploy with two of my guys. We fly an in a non-standard aviation uh, platform. So we fly in an NSAV and we meet the CIA on the ground and we get set up to do the stuff that we do. Every opportunity for us to succeed was available. It was at our disposal. We had AFRICOM, which is the combatant command theater of uh, the area of the entire operation, which is the continent. They cover the continent of Africa. And we have special operations command Africa, which is the combatant command uh, special operations lead for everything that's going on in theater. And there's layers of uh, officers and senior enlisted people who are handling kind of these things that are happening. But I quickly realized this is in JSOC. Can't sugarcoat this, but it was like being in the little leagues. Like I'm, I'm used to playing in the big leagues with JSOC. And I get to SOCAF, and I realize, wow, um, these guys have no clue what war is, uh, what warfare or global pursuit or targeting bad guys is. So some of the things started to degrade because I realized the support mechanism, which makes counterterrorism operations, the operators no offense, is the easy part. The support structure, the infrastructure of intel, collection and operations, and service support, command and signal, all that stuff, that's the bread and butter. I remember one time I was in the talk, uh, the Tactical Operations Center, which happened to be our SCIF, our little compartmentalized area for information. I got a phone call, and it was the S-2 from SOCAF, and it was an E-5 Air Force gal. And she said, hey, is Master Sergeant Glover there? yeah, this is him speaking. What's up? He says, hey, I wanted to pass some intel. And I said, okay, what do you got? Like, well, we're watching ISR, which is a bird flying overhead, uh, an aircraft flying overhead. And we see what seems to be an assembly of a lot of people. And we're thinking it could be a terrorist group organizing and collaborating in some way. And I said, okay, uh, pump me the feed, which we had the capability to do that. And they pumped me the feed. And in about 20 seconds, after I got oriented, I realized what I was looking at. Um, (laughs) I was looking at a gas station. And I was looking at a line of cars going into the gas station. And I was looking at a lot of people trying to get gas at the gas station. Because in Libya, um, which happens often the supply chain of oil refined gas is is controlled and so you'll see this because if you're on the ground like I was I drive around every day and I saw this and I knew exactly what it was cuz I drive by the gas station every single day and I also understand basic patterns of life and I went yeah that's a gas station and those are people getting gas and she's like no well it seems like I'm like no, it, they're getting gas. Like You could zoom in and you, I could, like you could see right now Like there's a car getting gas. That, that's a person getting gas. Those aren't terrorists. So that was my first indication things were not going to be right. I also had a, a, a colonel or a commander of SOCAF who had painted the picture because he was a Marine and had experience in Mogadishu, Somalia, that this was like Black Hawk Down, like we were in the Moog. And he said, hey, I want you guys to be really careful because, uh, you know, I'm watching the atmospherics, I'm getting the intel, and they're feeding me all the information, and, and it's like being in Mogadishu. And I said, uh, sir, it's nothing like Mogadishu, um, and we drive to the base to train Libyan counterterrorism recruits every day. And that's an hour drive one way and an hour drive the other direction, and it's not that dangerous. Um, there are dangers, no doubt, but he was creating this picture that we were in the middle of, um, a collapsed and terrorist safe haven for everything, which meant he was painting the picture to increase his risk mitigation to make sure that we wouldn't do any operations. I mean, that's, that's what ultimately he was doing because he didn't want he didn't want another Benghazi on his and his command. Um, <laughs> so, we get to a point where we figure out who the bad guys are. That's not hard to do. That's what special operations guys do. In 90 days, we find Abu Katala. I didn't personally find him. Uh, a couple of the guys I was with found him. And they identified him. And I say his name out loud because he was eventually rolled up. Um, and he's in Guantanamo right now. Um, but when we found him, we proposed course of actions, which included a bilateral option, which was a counterterrorism host nation option with my guys, the guys that stood up. It got to a point where uh, the chief of mission, which was the chargé, um, who who's, was appointed because Ambassador Stevens was killed, that he said, we can't do anything now because the political climate won't allow us to do it. And so we didn't target him. And we failed, even the Yusasak guys literally had them in their crosshairs and they couldn't execute an order to kill a terrorist who had just killed four of our own, including an ambassador. Not to um, devalue the other guy's lies, but an ambassador is an American representative of the strength and power we have across the world. And we were good with that. Um, I I remember that shouting match. And I remember that frustration. And the final straw for me, there was many, I, too, too many to get into. The final straw for me was Algeria. Um, we were on the border of Algeria and there's a small town called Gadamas on the western border with Algeria. Algeria is an Arab country. It's not an African country. It's an Arab country. If you, if you, if you tell them they're Africans, they will lose their mind and probably try to kill you. Um, they're Arabs. and When you talk to Algerians, um, they're very prideful, just like tripelations out of Tripoli, Libya. So they don't want help. Well, the Brits go in and go, um, there's a hostage rescue circumstance that's unfolding at an oil refinery. We need to go in there and get our guys out because there were Brits there, just as there were Americans. So we do what good special operations guys do. We develop courses of action. I literally go down and tell my guys to stage the Hiluxes to load them out. Get, I tell my comms guy to get SATCOM up, start hitting up uh, SOCAF and get everything staged. Why? Because that's my job. Crisis management, Hostage Rescue, SR. That's what we do. We get the call that there are American hostages being taken in an oil refinery that were from Texas and we just do what we do. That's, that's normal. Except when I called the SOCAF at like two in the morning, uh, which is headquartered in Germany, I get staff duty. And I said, um, okay, l- let me talk to somebody in S2. Uh, S2 is like the Intel cells or Intel shop of, um, of a, large, uh, a larger organization. And he goes, uh, he goes, Hey, master sergeant, there's, no, uh, there's nobody here. And I went, uh, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? There's nobody there. He goes, Oh, we, we just have staff duty here. We don't operate a full talk or jock. That's not what we do. Like, there's, no, there's actually nobody here. They'll be here tomorrow morning at nine o'clock. And I'm like, What? For the entire continent, for special operations operating all over the continent of Africa, they don't have any task org experts from shops that represent. All the guys that are on the ground in Africa? Yeah, that's Roger. We don't have anybody. Well, let me get Africom. There's nobody there either. What? Yeah. Guess who does have guys there? JSOC. And guess who has a man talk 24 hours a day? JSOC. And so I'm like, you have to be shitting me. You're like, you have to be kidding me right now. So you want me to wait till 9, nine o'clock in the morning, Germany time, to be able to communicate or get intel of what's happening real world? for American hostages, okay, we'll do that. So herein lies the problem, that, that's what led to Benghazi. That's why Benghazi and all of its, it's, it's like what happened in the neo evacuation of the military handing over to the State Department in Afghanistan. They are not, um, the military by the way, combatant commands are not good at doing neo evacuations. I've planned one for Mali. When Mali was falling apart, they sent me to Germany. And I did a planning session and realized in the first hour that nobody knew the, what the hell they were doing. Um, you need subject matter experts in evacuation of American citizens and hostages to plan those kind of things. Not a diplomat who has no idea what even a military tactical operation looks like. So um, we get told to stand down and the next day we get told Algeria... Um, and in, in all their squared-away-ness, away, decides to launch an offensive because they're monitoring the situation and they see people who they think are terrorists bugging out of the uh, buildings. They take their Cobra gunships and do gun runs on people running from the buildings thinking they're terrorists and they happen to be civilians, hostages they do gun runs on hostages and kill dozens of them before they realize this. And then they don't have containment on the objective and you have lost hostages walking in the desert and we have to help them. Post um, hostages dying and us not being able to do anything about it. Um, From there, uh, I leave. I um, write uh, emails to Uh, all of my chain of command, including the command sergeant majors and the colonels in charge, and tell them about the drunken lieutenant colonel who can't do his job, the absence of leadership, the disgust I have for the military, and everything that it was trying to accomplish with nobody standing up for right. And three weeks later, I was out of the military. I dropped my paperwork when I got back, the day I got back. And before my unit returned from Germany, Uh, and Libya, I was out of the military, um, and all voluntarily. Um, And so, do I have a disdain for my organizations? No, because we did the job, and we knew how to do it right. But all of a sudden, everything changed, where I realized I can't suppress this thing called um, uh, bureaucracy, uh, crooked politicians, um, government dysfunction. And so, I walked away. Found the light at the end of the tunnel in the CIA, which was a great experience for me. And then decided that uh, I kind of wanted to take these ideas and pass them on to. um, I wanted to pass them on to uh, civilians like you, citizens like you. I I don't haven't said this to any places, but I was a whistleblower on Benghazi because I had intimate knowledge and detail of. All the lies and all the things that were wrong, and so I testified in conc- uh, before Congress. Um, I did a whole bunch of things um, behind shadows, behind curtains, um, in classified and unclassified briefings, um, and and shared my piece of the story. Um, after all that was said and done, nothing happened. Nobody was held responsible, and Hillary Clinton ran for president. Go figure. You could lie, you could cheat, you can get Americans killed, you could deny that there was any way that you could have did anything, and then you could run for president. I mean, you could delete all your emails, which would get me or any of my guys put in Leavenworth, and you could just forget all of that existed and start to serve uh, again and run for president in the United States. And so very close, she won the popular vote, she could have been our president, and you would probably hear me protesting constantly if that happened. So, um, start Phil craft, start this idea of empowering ci- civilians and citizens, and, um, start American contingency. So, and this is where we get to, uh, to AMCON. Tom, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hey, man. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, uh, oh, man. Um, that shit frustrates me. Yeah. It, yeah. It frustrates me. Um,
1: well, it, it, it's a challenge even for the population at large to see things like that happen. And, and I, you know, I have military service. I don't, I'm not nearly to the extent that you do, but I can look at some of those things and think, man, something's wrong there. It, it's not that complicated. Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's tell, um, Um, because we kind of embedded this. Um, Let's tell people who you are and and then like what's your, who you are, what your duties and responsibilities are. And then a little bit about your background.
1: Sure. Um, My name is Tom Rigsby. I'm currently am the, I guess, executive directors, what we're calling me of uh, American contingency. I, I was telling somebody this story this week, that somewhere around July the 9th, some, charismatic guy made a very passionate video and posted it on YouTube, encouraging people to, uh, get their butt off the bench. Um, I know that spoke to me and having talked with a lot of our members, that's, that's kind of what got everybody started or a lot of people started. Um, I, I have a background. I tell everybody that when I was growing up, the only thing I ever wanted to do in life was be in the army. And so I was able to accomplish that life goal, um, around 18 years old. And so everything since then has been gravy, but a lot of the lessons that I learned over those 14 years of, of combined active and, and guard experience have really helped me bring several businesses, um, you know, to fruition, uh, had a couple that we started from scratch. They did really well. I wanted to take some of that experience and help other growing entrepreneurs, um, start their business. And so over the course of, of time, you know, I've had been very fortunate to have the opportunity to work in a lot of different industries and a lot of different businesses at a lot of different levels. And you know, the timing was pretty right for me as Amcon was getting started. Um, I had my business was winding down or that, that version of it was winding down, um, and, and the, it just worked out. And, you know, my, most of my military experience is in signal and operations. And um, so when I first got involved with AMCON, that's where we started, stood up the, the uh, AMCON ham radio network. And from the work that we did there, um, I mean, literally three months after we started that, I was sitting in that chair right over there um here at um, in Heber City, and I, I guess at some point all of those things kind of came together, and um, I think I've heard you tell the story. I wouldn't leave you alone, so you decided to give me a chance to take this thing and turn it into take take your vision and turn it into a reality, and so that's what we've been working on.
0: yeah I know the um we had talked about it before, but we had a lot of difficult uh obstacles to overcome, Mm -hmm. right? Um when I did kind of the get off the bench video uh from the origins of it, I didn't know how it was going to evolve because you don't really know how anything's going to evolve when uh you passionately want to make a difference. But at that at the point in which I announced that I I think it's time for people to get off the bench and do something about it, I, I didn't understand the the structure and context of how that would unfold. And so we had a lot of growing and working pains, um, including um, trying to campaign against the idea that we're talking about fighting each other, which right. a lot of people wanted at the time. Now, remember, this is at the time that BLM and Antifa were freely... And openly and um, with the permission of law enforcement and politicians uh, rioting, violently attacking, and even murdering people. Uh, it's, it's, it's comical to me that, I mean, one, I think this kind of discourse in any uh, facet where people are uh, brutally attacked, uh, injured, uh, and, and even killed is is um inexcusable but we were having for the first time in history that i've seen law enforcement officers chiefs of police sheriffs told to stand down and not protect even the innocent that were being attacked right but that had nothing to do with the the situation that was going on
1: yeah i i think a lot of what we saw over the course of um We'll, we'll call it that late last year in the first half of this year, that there was a lot of frustration, right? And frustration is a function of expectations. If I have an expectation that when I'm in trouble, I can call the police and they will come help me and they don't, that's a frustration, right? If I, I can project that expectation on something I'm watching on TV, right? So we take these areas where riots were going on. And well, there's an innocent person. They're being bludgeoned with a shovel, right? Why isn't anybody helping them? And that raises frustration within me. So at, at the end of the year, it, it was, it, the whole year had been this, this building pressure behind, um, you know, this, our, our inability to disagree peacefully, right? you're either way over here or you're way over here and everybody in the middle, who cares? We're going to, you know, you're just going to be collateral damage. And so as that frustration built and then, you know, you come along with a very motivating message and I think we can see from how rapidly the organization grew that that message really resonated with people. But as you pointed out, because we all interpret that through the lens of our own experience some people saw that as a all right finally we're going to go defend these people you know where other people thought okay well i can't depend on them to come help me i need to become more self-reliant which is the audience that that you know we're catering to um and, and that caused us that was there was a lot of hardship that went with that.
0: yeah i mean the we own I own a preparedness company. And so the, 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 the burden of responsibility I felt as somebody who teaches people to be prepared was I advocate for you being your own first response, right. knowing that first responders and their lull and just time of responding won't be there in time to save you. and And yeah and that and then not only that but in this case they might not come at all
1: well it's not always and and we're not saying that from a negative with a negative connotation right i i use this example frequently when we talk about you know when i'm talking about what amcon is and what we do and what we advocate for frequently you know say well well, why do you need to do all that? You just call the police. I'm like, well, let me ask you this. Do you have a fire extinguisher in your house? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm like, okay, why do you have a fire extinguisher? Well, in case there's a fire. I'm like, right. Why don't you just call the fire department? Mm -hmm. Well, a lot can happen before they get there. like, that's right. That's why you need to be prepared. That's why you need to have defense plans and food plans and you know, know how to be your own first responder. You don't have to be an expert in everything. You just have to be um, prepared or prepped to the point where you're not feeling that anxiety. And I think what happens is a, a lot of people, when we get frustrated, you know, we see something happening to someone else and we think, oh, that's terrible, right? Then it happens to us. And it's like, oh, this is beyond terrible. This is I've got to do something, Yeah. right? Well, they don't know what to do. And we just help people answer that question. We help them think through what the risks are for them, where they live, where they travel, where they work, and then come up with a plan. And I I know you talk a lot about the psychology of what we do. Um, You know, the way our mind works, if we can mentally walk through a scenario, that's just as good in terms of preparing as actually doing it. Now it doesn't build the muscle memory, it doesn't build the the skills and the capabilities, but in terms of being surprised by a scenario, we don't have to be surprised by it anymore. If there's a fire, that's why you have fire drills at school or at home, is so that when it really happens, it's not a shock. Everybody knows what they're supposed to do. Hmm. And I I think that that just by the work that we've been doing over the last uh, six or seven months and, and positioning it in a way where we get people thinking about what's the risk to you. Okay, if that happens, what's that going to do to your food supply? What's that going to do to your uh, the food you have in the fridge? What's it going to do to your mobility and, and your ability to move around? And, and fortunately or unfortunately, we've had a lot of events that have played into that planning. Um, you know, we've had... Um, the lockdowns and the, the inability to move around. We've had supply chain issues. Um, you know, we kind of laugh about toilet paper, but it's a, it's a great illustration of, you know, just where all of this stuff comes from hmm. and how, you know, e- even FEMA tells us, well, you need 72 hours worth of food in your house. Well, y- you've probably eaten an MRE or a, a heater meal or two in your day. Hmm. They're not all great. And, and so that 72 hours worth of food is going to get burned through in about 24 hours. Mm. And then what? Yeah. And, and, and it's really simple. I, you know, I, I live in North Alabama a couple of years ago. We had tornadoes that came through. And even though our area is fed by three separate primary feeds, we had no power for over two weeks. Wow. That's a long time. It's a very long time. Yeah. And if you're not prepared for that,
0: food spools, no hot water. Right. No water at all sometimes if you, right. you know. Um Yeah, what I found interesting was um, regardless of the perception, the position for American Contingency or AMCON, was we want to empower you with information to allow you to stand up in your own community and come together to Work together to be able to protect, even defend, and mobilize yourself to uh, take care of each other. And that was because of a uh, man made disaster, but that could be any disaster, Burr. natural or man made. What, what was fascinating about it was then we get into a, the COVID 19, we get into a pandemic. And then we get into an election cycle, right? Um, almost like three horrible things at once that likely are linked in some way, at least in the, the dissemination of information through the media, where you have every single, like if you, if you ask yourself right now, which you should, how come I haven't seen anything on BLM? How come I haven't seen anything on Antifa? And as soon as the elections happened, that all went away? That's a great question to ask yourself because the the position for a lot of Americans was the world is falling apart. There's populated um, um, locations and metropolitan areas that are being affected, but it seems like a pandemic in itself. But the reality is the media was creating this toxic uh, vortex. And it didn't stop there. Um, We got suppressed. We got, I mean, I personally got attacked and threatened. Um, Everything you could do to try to destroy somebody and their company um, and everything they've worked for, they tried against me. I mean, I lost every account that I had in social my merchant service account, Chase dropped me as a merchant service. Um, I lost my uh, Shopify account, which they still to this day have not given me a reason why. And we're pushing and transacting thousands of orders and millions of dollars. And they just cut me off, like completely deleted my website, gave me 48 hours to access my personal information. And he didn't even give me a chance to even save my interface. Like tried to deliberately and intentionally destroy me. Um, there's an article that was written about me that called me a white supremacist, a right-wing extremist. I even got contacted by CNN. Yeah. CNN tried to run a story on me uh, that was going to air after in a series after the first episode, which was on Proud Boys. They interviewed me and the lady told me Oh, this is interesting. I, I thought you were something else. Like, this isn't, like, this is your position. I'm like, well, yeah, my position is I'm not an extremist and everything we're doing is to help and protect Americans by empowering them and educating them. Oh, well, okay, we'll get back with you. And they never got back with right. me. Um, what I was most surprised by was the right-wing Extremist in the look, you're going to get extreme versions of people no matter where you are. You could work at a gas station, and somebody in, that's an employee there is going to be an extreme version of something, no matter what institution you are. But I was taken back by the right wing extremists that existed in American contingency up front mm-hmm. that were so infuriated that Mike wasn't taking them to war. And right. I think that's literally like what something that was said. Why why did that happen and and what are some ways or tactics that we kind of dealt with that?
1: Well, I I think it goes back to that frustration and and the people were looking for something to do and they felt like I I I need to go address this head to head. And you know, like you said the, the reality is that's not our message. And and it wasn't our message, even from the beginning, but filtering it through an individual's, you know, what they want to hear. We hear what we want to hear, right? We've got a, a confirmation bias and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what he means. Um, It's been a challenge. I'm, I, I won't lie to you. I've spent a lot of time working on, um, a, I call it reputation rehab, but it's not that we have anything to rehabilitate. It's, it's just recovering from what other people have said. And and I think we sat here at this table one time, we talked about even changing the name and, and I've said to you, you know, look, we can call this thing butterflies and unicorns if we want to. And as soon as somebody writes an article and points at us and, and says, you know, white supremacist, right wing extremists, we're right back where we started. Um, it, and so I've taken the approach with your support, you know, that um, we're just going to own it. We're going to wor- walk headlong into it and address the issues. And we've spent a tremendous amount of time building relationships. You, you mentioned that uh, when you were talking about Libya. And, and so much of what we do, just as human beings, uh, let alone AMCOM, but so much of what we do, should be about relationship building. And, you know, we have a vetting program where our members will go through and get a background check done, and, and they get a little star on their, their profile. But that's just the beginning. That, that's like the minimum bar, right? The, the real vetting happens when we sit down, uh, talk to each other, break bread with each other. That's where I get to know what your intent is. All that background check tells me is whether you got a record or not but why you want to be a part of the organization, what you hope to achieve, your, your kind of dreams and aspirations of membership. I have to learn that, you know, one-on-one and, you know, part of our challenge is we have 130 groups spread across, you know, 47, 46, 47 states. Um, getting some consistency in how we do that it is a challenge. Because these groups are independent groups, and our members are, are looking for guidance and direction. And so we've just, you know, over the last few months, we've been very careful, very intentional about how we do that and how we guide the conversation and the direction. And even, even to the extent of how we um, coach our members and group leaders to talk about AMCON. Right. We talk about how we, we focus on being prepared, being able to respond, and being able to recover. Right. If, and, and that's language, that's specific language that comes, you, you know, from FEMA. We're, we're using some of their own tools here. Um, if you think about the issues that are the risks that face you, you learn how to prepare for those, you learn how to respond to those, and then you learn how to recover from those. And you put yourself in a position to do that, you can be successful and not just, as you've said many times, not just survive, but thrive on the backside of some event where other people are really suffering. I, I,
0: um, it, it's crazy because I think I, we kind of had talked about this settling because there was a whole bunch of, felt like hysteria with everything going on, right? So people are out of um, their comfort zone. They're anxious. Um, We got a a pandemic on top of everything else besides um, why this started, which was uh, the social uh, dilemma that we were in. And, And we had this preparedness idea as this thing evolved. And I had a podcast, I had employees, I had an Intel cell. And where it came to a head was this, one of the guys in the, one of the groups did this thing where he like posted this um, picture of a business card of an FBI agent. And the idea was, um, you know, Mike is a wolf in sheep's clothing or whatever that means. And he's leading everybody to the slaughter, which was actually said by somebody I know. Mm-hmm. And and uh, when he was not in the right state of mind. Um, and, and I realized that everybody else's incentive wasn't mine. And we had uh, good conversations about that because even this idea that like... Um, There's an ulterior motive to what's going on, is mind-boggling to me because I don't have motives when I do things. Typically, Um, they're they're meaning they're from a good place.
1: You don't have a hidden agenda.
0: I don't have a hidden agenda. Everything's advertised. I'm open about everything because my life is that way. I mean, everybody in my inner circle. There's no secrets. Um, so when all of this started to kind of unfold. What I realize in hindsight now is it had to happen the way it happened to get to a point where we are now, which, um, by the way, if you go to americacontingency.com and you type it in in a tag in a post on Facebook or Instagram, uh, likely most feeds, um, it will be immediately shut mm-hmm. down, uh, which makes it difficult to get new members, um, to recruit members, um, buying into this idea of community, but we're, we're okay with that right now. And, and we're not flexing or changing the core value of what's most significant. So I know we, we recently had um, a few proofs of concept with things that we wanted to affect which included natural disasters. Right? Can you walk me, well, for, for I guess people for listen, who are listening, can you walk me through kind of the infrastructure of how membership community groups and, and what happened in uh, Louisiana, kind of sure. how that unfolded?
1: Sure. So from a, a kind of 10,000-foot view, we have the country divided into six regions. And each one of those regions um, has a support team to help the groups and individual members in that region. So earlier this summer, um, Hurricane Ida came up through the Gulf Coast and actually wound up impacting states in two different regions for us, the South and the Southeast region. And of course, it made a uh, direct hit on Louisiana, which, you know, still recovering from Katrina and Rita. Um, But I will say that the people there in that area, saw it coming this time and were better prepared than they were um, for katrina and rita so um what we did we had local we had members and local groups in the area Uh, we have uh, you know i mentioned the mcon ham radio network um and her team did a fantastic job stood up a watch net that ran 24 24 hours a day for the better part of a week, um, kind of facilitating communications between members and groups. They were taking need requests. Um, We had individuals and group leaders from uh, middle Florida all the way around to San Diego say, hey, hey, tell me what they need and we'll get them there. We we had uh, at least one person that I know of uh, from San Diego, loaded up his car with everything he could squeeze in it and stopped at a couple of places along the way, picked up more, and just went there and spent two weeks helping them. Now, part of what we did, that regional support team, was able to coordinate, here's what we need, and, and then communicate that out to the others who could get that and bring it to the area. Um, they were also able to coordinate, where do I need to go? Who do I need to drop this off with? Um, and, you know, by partnering with um, providers that were already in the area and had some of those relationships established, you know, we, we've we had the ability to have a huge felt impact in the area and a financial impact in the area just from the efforts of the members of AMCON. So, and and, you know, from my perspective, that's exactly how this is supposed to work. You know, and and you mentioned you know kind of early this year when there were members who were very frustrated that we weren't going toe to toe with Antifa or or whoever. You know, you said many times that look, Mike's not running a QRF out of Utah. I'm not coming to help. But that's not practical. But the group that's about fifty miles away that is practical, mm-hmm. right? So we've spent a lot of time working on group development getting those leaders to be involved with their adjacent groups. Um, And and so that that help goes both ways, right? So they train together, they know how to communicate with each other. And when a circumstance like this presents itself, they know how to um, respond and help one another. But most importantly, they already have the relationships established. Hmm. So we don't have to show up and, and then we have to go through this, this dance of, of vetting each other to make sure that, that we're good before I let you help me. but Because, look, the reality is I'm in a vulnerable state, right? My, my house, my neighborhood, my community's been devastated and here somebody saying they're going to help. Well, how many stories do we hear of unscrupulous people coming to help? Um, because that relationship's already established, we don't have to do any of that. And those incoming teams can go right to work.
0: Yeah. We have like an Amcon handshake and you're, you're vetted and you're good. Um, how does the structure work now with the new interface and the website now? Like, um, what is the process in getting kind of educated and signed up?
1: Sure. So it's, uh, it's really simple. Uh, anyone who is not already associated or wants to find out more, you can go to AmericanContingency.com. All roads lead to the membership site. Um, all of our memberships uh, on the website are paid memberships now, but you can get a, a free trial so you can come in, have a look around, make sure that, you know, you can connect with people in your area, um, kind of see what we're about. We're really excited mm-hmm. With the possibility that the new site affords us, right we, we kind of built this organization um, on somebody else's platform, and when you do that, you're subject to the way that they want to do business, and that was one of the the challenges and limitations that we ran into. yeah
0: the interface wasn't built for our community no. in the way we wanted the interface right
1: i mean uh, the 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 simplest example is in moderation there was none yeah there there was no facility for us to go in and say hey you're being a jerk i'm going to turn you off for 48 hours yeah right the platform we have now will do that automatically yeah and well that
0: it's interesting because that originally felt like such a great idea people could talk to people to build relationships and it's the first time that i actually got it. And I went, now I have empathy for these social media platforms that have to moderate on a massive scale, which is why they automate through algorithms to detect these kind of things because people in scale become uh, problematic over time with a certain percentage of people just being
1: problems. Right. Well, it, it comes back to the relationship factor, Mike. Right? I mean, Anybody can be a keyboard commando, right? Um, But if I am forced to build a relationship with the people that I'm talking to, I'm far less likely to do that. So one of the things that we've been able to do on the new platform is we've created groups for people. So whether the group is built around a, a geographic region or it's built around an interest, we have groups where, so now I can go and be a part of this group and I don't, um, I don't have to see the whole feed. I can focus on the area that I'm interested in. Um, I can focus on the people that live close by me that, that have a need that I can help. And that's an, again, that's another feature that we didn't have on the other platform. But, but what we have now, and I, I I stress this as often as I have the opportunity, what we have in place now is just the foundational piece. You know, if you're looking at a house, we, we have we have the foundation laid in the slab board. We're just now beginning to build the walls and put the roof on it and, and you know, paint the walls and, and do all the nice things. One of those things that we have coming, and I, I'm going to say this with my fingers crossed, hoping that we're able to make this date, but our um, dedicated apps for, iOS and Android. We know that a vast majority of the members access the website on their phone. And, you know, we want to make that the best experience possible. Is that possible without getting, um,
0: like what's, what's your, what's your take on doing it by name and not getting suppressed? Like, like the whole parlor, AWS, Amazon thing.
1: Well, so here's the reality. Um, any entity and look, I'll use this story to illustrate when we started looking for hosting for the website, it was very difficult to find hosting that didn't ultimately wind up on an AWS server, a Google server, um, or, or some other platform that was not going to be friendly to us It's very difficult. There are lots of people reselling those services and calling it their own. <laughs> um, you know, kind of goes back to the, the, our platform where we started. When you build your business on somebody else's platform, you, you have to abide by the rules that they dictate. And so if you can't live with those rules, you have to build your own platform.
0: What, what I don't understand for, for our circumstance is um, – we haven't done anything wrong no right and in my language i've been very careful i mean one ideologically i i'm not an extremist like i don't i don't think in extreme like i've combated extremists for the last since the GWAT began and i just don't think it, it think extreme ideology in any sense is going to accomplish much um because the conversation isn't even a possibility that there is no
1: conversation right now, and and that's yeah. the problem. Either believe what I believe, or I don't want to see your lips moving. Got it. Right. Yeah. And so, hmm. and and that's unfortunate, right? I yeah. call that cordial disagreement. Where I mean, go all the way back to the founding fathers, right? That there's the Federalist and Anti-Federalist, mm-hmm. right? And they they passionately disagreed upon the right method the right structure to use for the country, but they had to. They were able to talk about it and come to a compromise. There is no ground for compromise right now. So what we have to do, and I, I, um, I, I use this phrase a lot to talk about this, is we have to agree to disagree. And, and that's kind of a trite saying, but the way that I use it is to encourage everybody, not just our members, but everybody, Listen to the person and what they're trying to say. They might not be willing to listen to you, but be bigger than they are. Be better than they are. Listen to their message. And even if you can't persuade them, you know, at least be willing to listen to them. I, there's a, a quote. I have my notebook here on the table. Um, And there's a quote from... From Chief Tecumseh, every time I start a new notebook, I rewrite this whole quote. Um, and, and part of it says, trouble no man about his religion, respect others in their views, and demand that they respect yours. Mm. You know, if, if we all lived our lives by that. Yeah. I, we would be banning Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, well, yes. Yeah. I mean, how sad is it? And, and this is just the condition that we live in today. Name a news outlet that you, that you trust. Yeah, there's not one. No. Yeah.
0: Al Jazeera. <laughs> <Because> Again, <it's- laughs> how sad is that, right? Yeah.
1: That we have to go off continent yeah. to find a news outlet that's that that we can trust. So, you know, some of this comes back to personal responsibility. You know, that's one of the the three tenets that we talk about all the time self reliance, personal responsibility, and liberty. And I have to be responsible for vetting my own news hmm. and, and it's unfortunate, but we've, you know, we, we kind of live in this immediate gratification world where I just want to spend 30 minutes watching the news and know everything I need to know. Well, you can't do that. Hmm. That's not reality today. Now we try to help with that through our information team and, you know, gathering Different reports and and different information, um, uh, IRs from around the country, and publishing that in a format that says, Hey, here are some things that are going on. You should look at these. They might, you know, they might affect the way you live your day to day life. That's something that we're actively working on to improve and and get that into a state where I I think it would be great. I, I would feel that we've met our goal if I have members come up to me and say, you know, the first thing I do when I hear something is head over to the website to see if it's true.
0: Yeah, I like like the idea of that evolving and playing a more significant role in attention for people. Mm -hmm. I I also like the idea of advocating for people to not be tethered to an app or a forum or a piece of technology and be tethered to each other and real, and real communication and and real, uh, relationships.
1: It's a real balancing act for us. I'll just be upfront and honest about that. This whole movement began online, right? And so for us to, you know, 15 months later, for us to have 130 groups and 50,000 members, um, but really 130 groups, To take all those people from online only and get them to clump together, cluster together in these groups, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. Right. And so the balancing act for us is publishing, producing enough content and providing enough value through the website and the apps that the members gain real value from being, being a member but not creating so much that they spend all day watching the feed scroll by. Yeah. I I actually want them to go spend time with their neighbors, Mm -hmm. um, and, and their local members.
0: Yeah. The, one of the things that intrigues me about, um, preparedness tied into this is building a a more self-reliant community. Um, where people can lean on people especially in catastrophe and you know team rubicon does this effectively Mm -hmm. um but we're not a 501c3 now I, i think um there is uh an evolution of this where i would like to see people or the community at large React and respond and help people who are in need. So, the the Louisiana thing is a a, a micro version of what the potential is, but also um, line out all the preparedness type things, like even disaster response, um, how FEMA works, how you should work in your own communities to right. come together to safely react and respond to help each other out. Um, A lot of that organically happens in communities anyways, but there's, we're fighting, we're fighting, um, new societal norms with technology.
1: Well, you know, one of the things that, that, you you know, you and I both address this, um, from time to time, self-reliance doesn't mean being alone. Yeah. In in fact, I can be very self-reliant and be part of a, a group, right? Um, you know, look the the Hurricane Ida response was our first kind of major push to respond to an event like that, and I'll be the first one to tell you our our AAR was long. Mm. <laughs> we had lots of lessons that we learned from that, lots of organizational updates and changes that we're making. That um, you know, there's a push to. Um, create resources, pre-stage those in the regions so that we can have resources on hand and not have to try and order them and move them around. And I mean, because logistically, it worked out um, that we had members who were willing to provide logistics and and move material and people around, but that's not always going to be the case and we don't want to have to depend on that either. So, you know, we're learning from this experience. Um, our regional coordinators are taking that down to the group leaders. We have lessons learned. We have best practices. Um, it, it just takes time and I'll be the first one to admit, I I get frustrated sometimes with the pace of, of movement, right? I want to see us move faster. I see things coming and say, we should be ready for that. And. And we get, we get there, we, you know, partially we get there, but look, we, we've built this over the course of about a year and a half out of basically an all volunteer staff. Right. And that there are a few of us that get compensated for doing it, but the, you know, that's a few out of 10,000 people that are actively participating every day. Um, to be able to get to where we are, I, I, I encouraged our leaders on the leader call this week, anytime you get frustrated like that, just take a breath, look around and see where you've come from, Yeah, right? Because we've come a long way mm-hmm. and there's still a long way to go, but man, I'm proud of the the progress that our group leaders have made, the hard work that they put into it and the dedication that they have to this idea that... We want to help people um, be prepared for the, be- you know, for the best day and the worst day of their life.
0: Yeah, I like that. I, th- I think the, um, the, the idea of um, preparing for the worst day of your life um, doesn't sell well in our culture because...
1: Mm-hmm. Nobody the, wants to think about that.
0: Yeah, we don't want to think about it. We don't want to even be confronted with it um but like this idea that hey this as a part of your your life uh, out of all the things that you could kind of put together and stitch together and getting to know people in your own backyard getting to lean on because i always say this like i'm not the expert here i'm not the asset here the assets are in your community groups i mean the the idea that which which i got a lot from the very beginning was why aren't you giving us direction why aren't you giving us content? why aren 't yeah. you giving us instruction it's like, man, um, because you're a grown ass man, yeah, right because you're an adult um, because you have access to more information than you've ever had in human history. I mean if I had Google growing up as a young adult um, uh, I'd probably be in trouble yeah. but I, I would be so well. Educated and informed on best practice, best decisions, and and figuring it out because I'm a self starter. But there was this dependency on me specifically, guys that and gals that work for us. And I love this idea in the the normacy of life. Not in considering the worst case scenario that you could leverage your skill sets: a nurse, a teacher, a coach. Whatever it is to help somebody in your own community.
1: Let me tell you, we, we within our body of members, we have every skill set that you will ever need. We have doctors, we have lawyers, we have rocket scientists, we have back operators, welders. Whatever you want, whatever you need, it's in there. Uh, and I, I like to share stories like this because it just illustrates the value of what we're doing. right We've had just a, a couple of stories. We, we've had one member who their local group had just some basic first aid training, CPR, stop the bleed kind of stuff. And within a week after completing that training, she was visiting with her dad and he was asleep in his recliner. And she looked over and was like, well, that's a funny shade of blue. That something looks wrong. She saved his life because he was having a heart attack laying there in the chair. Wow. And she was able to recognize that. We, we've had another member who moved into a new area. And... And was feeling a little bit of that anxiety that goes along with not knowing anybody. And he said, "You know, after becoming a part of AmCon, getting involved in the groups, I am no more than thirty minutes away from a roof over my head and a hot meal, no matter where I am in this state." I love that. And and you know, kind of on the unfortunate side, but it illustrates the power of our groups. We had a, a, a member recently who was missed. He wasn't checking in with his group. And so the group leader called the police and and filed a missing persons report. And the the police officer showed up at his house and said, Hey, we found him a couple of days ago. Oh. And, wow. and he had taken his own life. Wow. But it was the group that missed him. Yeah. And that's the power of the personal relationships that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So whether it's being missed, whether it's having a, a, a place to stay in a hot meal or, you know, just might to come help you change a tire mm. right in the middle of the night, just stand back here behind me and watch my back while, you know, while I change a tire. Those are the things that, that we can facilitate and we can encourage people to do, but it's the, it's the boots on the ground that make that happen. It's the people at the local level that want to develop those relationships and get plugged in with each other. And, and that's, that's motivating and moving to me, mm. right to hear those stories um, those are powerful stories,
0: yeah, I feel like um there's two kind of schools of thought on this, which is I'm thinking about it from a military perspective um, you know, the best units I've served in, the idea was the command trusted our ability to work on the ground, decentralized mm-hmm. yep. and and they knew we would succeed, um, and I feel that way with um, the position of government. You know, I, I feel like my understanding of the founding fathers, and also now an entrepreneur, and kind of the full spectrum of life—that where we see people succeed is when they're left alone, especially in um, in safety, and um, law and order, but allowing them to have maximum freedom and liberties to make their own choices, their own decisions, which empowers people to think for themselves, to act on their own. And this crushing dependency has not only affected us socially, economically, and, and during this pandemic, but it's created this uh, welfare dependence on others to do anything. Uh, and I don't, I don't like that, it doesn't feel right.
1: Well, you you know, I mentioned a few minutes ago, Liberty, Liberty to me is different than freedom. Liberty is freedom with responsibility, Mm -hmm. right? Um, but the, you know, the idea of self-reliance is, is more than just, you know, this idea of being a doomsday prepper. That's not what we're about. That's, that's not what we're doing. I can take that and apply that across, you know, our nine critical categories and, and one of which is income and economics, right? If you have a house and the mortgage payment on that house and the utility bill for that house is so great that you can't afford to lose your job, then then you are beholden to whatever your boss tells you you have to do, mm-hmm. which might interfere with your your choices, your self-determining choices, and your liberty, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, we've created, just society has created this picture that you have to live in the right zip code, you have to have the right name brand, name badge on, on your car, um, debt is good, the biggest investment you'll ever make in your house. Yeah, you know, all of that stuff makes us uh, dependent on the system, And when we are able to, and you don't, and I'm I'm not even advocating, don't have a job, don't go into debt. I mean, that's just part of living life now, but don't put yourself in a position where you have to compromise on your principles or your preparedness because of the choices that you've made. Yeah, I, I, um,
0: somebody asked me recently, they said, Mike, if you can give me advice on the start point of being better prepared, what would it be? Is it like an EDC setup? Or what? And I'm like, consolidate your debt, mm-hmm. um, minimo, minimize uh, the garbage that you think is something you need um, or something you want versus something you need, and and start reallocating your resources. I, you know, if one of my favorite um, documentaries is that minimalism documentary Mm -hmm. where it kind of shows you after you watch it and kind of watch this guy's journey through minimizing all the junk and the clutter that we just got too much crap because that's how we grew up in america we're more you know we're keeping up with the joneses
1: stuff matters
0: stuff matters right
1: and um you know I, I. I had a great example of that, um, with my brother-in-law one time we were, uh, we were over visiting with them and, and we were out in the, in the driveway and kind of diagonally across the street from him, um, an older couple had just passed away. So wife died about a week, 10 days later, the husband died and their kids backed up a roll off dumpster in the driveway and they were just chucking everything they had. Oh, wow. right? Now, I think it's reasonable for me to surround myself with the things that, that make my life enjoyable, and there's no obligation on my surviving family to keep any of it. I, I'm, I'm not projecting or advocating that. But how much of that stuff that, that wound up in the landfill, right, the resources spent on acquiring and maintaining and repairing that stuff could have been better spent on, I don't know, maybe healthcare. Yeah. You you know, and I, I, I tell people all the time, I'm no poster boy for healthy living, but I do pay attention to what I eat and where it comes from. We try to, you know, grow most of the stuff that we eat. Um, you know, we have a responsibility to take care of ourselves. A good starting point is get up and move a little bit, right? Yeah, and, and and so many people think that my preps have to be perfect in order for them to be to make a difference, and they don't. Mm. You don't have to be the best at any of those nine categories. You just have to be aware of them and trying to get better. Mm. But it, it's kind of like the old joke, right? Two guys walking through the woods and the bear starts chasing them, so they start to run. The one friend says to the other, he says, you really think we can outrun this bear? And he's like, I don't have to outrun the bear. I just have to outrun you, mm-hmm. right? You just have to be better prepared than the people who are not, mm-hmm. right? And, and 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 that might have a, a cold sound to it, but the reality is that most of the people in this country are not prepared for two weeks without electricity.
0: Yeah. Well, they're not members of a memcon. So, well, that's true. That's we, we
1: can help with that.
0: <laughs> um, what's the future of uh, of AmCon for the next fiscal year? What are some things that you're rolling out and that you're excited about?
1: Well, so the two things that um, I'll, I'll mention three things. One is a big focus on groups. We want to work with group leaders, and we want to focus on the these are regional groups, right? Or region- state that they're they're local groups. Yeah, right. They might backyard. be a, backyard groups, right? Um, I've been I've been visiting with as many that I can can physically go and see. And you should see the look on their faces when I tell them this, like, look, once you get to about 12 to 15 people or families in this group, you need to split the group because that's about the span of care, right? And mm. and you know from a, a team's perspective, oh, yeah, ODA, yeah. That there's only so many people that you can care for. Split the group. So we want to grow the number of groups and the coverage of groups. That's number one. Number two, we're getting the apps rolled out. Um, the goal is to have that rolled out well before the end of the year. I'm throwing my hat over the wall with that, committing to that. Uh, but I think that from a, a an engagement uh, perspective, point of view, that that's really going to help with the felt satisfaction that the members have in communicating through the platforms that we create. Uh, and then the third one I'm most excited about are um, or the expos. Hmm. Now, 2021 was a harsh year to have anything like an expo.
0: Mike, why aren't you doing an expo? Because I'm not allowed. because right. the state of Montana, Idaho, you like none of these states. would Find
1: land. me a state where we can yeah. get more than 10 people together. Yeah. Well, uh, all of all of that aside, assuming that we are allowed to have them, um, our goal going forward into 2022 is to have. Uh, five regional expos, one in each region, to r- really to make it as convenient as possible for our members to get there, right? Having one big expo somewhere that everybody has to travel to, it, it makes it difficult. So we'll have a, these smaller expos in the regions, and then, so the five of those, and then the sixth one will be the National Expo. Uh, we're looking at Phoenix around the October November time frame for that. Awesome, and we've got some really exciting things that we're doing with training that we're going to combine with the expos. Put a little bit of gamification or competition in there, um, some skills contests and that sort of thing. Um, so I'm really excited at how those the planning's coming together on those, and um, you know, should stay tuned as we roll those out.
0: How do you convince a person? to uh enter a group because I, what I what I what we often find is we have a lot of lone wolves who are sure. they're collecting information not collecting information but they're getting informed and and they might be on the fence and and why is it advantageous for someone to join a group because
1: you can't be an expert in everything mm. I mean we we have these nine critical categories that we talk about all the time um you, you know, we were joking about it earlier. Um, you know, you're—I I would look at you as a great security and defense expert, mm-hmm. subject matter expert. Uh, but if you needed somebody to start a fire or build a shelter, you, you might call a Stella, right? Yeah. Um, so e- even someone as skilled as you in a particular skill set has other skill sets where you're lacking. That's why an ODA has twelve guys on it, mm-hmm. right? um because everybody can't be an expert at everything Mm -hmm. and so when we encourage people to look at the prevailing risks in their lives whether it's tornadoes earthquakes wildfires zombie apocalypse whatever civil unrest how does that impact your life in these nine critical areas and if you find an area where you're unprepared being part of a group is a great way to associate with someone who may have a skill set or an area of expertise that you're lacking. And when you do that, by the way, you probably have a skill set that someone else is lacking. So, you know, our our strengths are doubled and our burdens are halved when we get together with other people. Hmm. And so that's really our focus on groups is get in a group and, and you know what, if you live in an area where there's not someone else that's convenient, you're the group leader. Yeah. Right. Get yeah. to work. Let's, let's get two other people together, have breakfast one Saturday a month. And now you've got a group started. Hmm. And that goes back to this idea that it doesn't have to be perfect in order to start. You just have to start.
0: If you have, um, if you want to start your own group, then you could basically build in the interface, a group segment right
1: yeah so um on the website if you want to start a group there's a page you go and register that group Um, and then one of our regional coordinators will be in touch with you if if you want it to be a geographically oriented group the regional coordinator for that area will reach out to you and say do you have people are you starting a group do you need help Um, and that's part of what we're doing from a from a national level organization we're putting together and curating the resources for individuals and groups to be able to be better prepared to move from this state of being anxious and concerned to competent and confident right
0: right?
1: um and so you know you want to start a group but you don't know how not a problem we've got a checklist to help you with that we've got somebody that can mentor you on that journey and walk with you and and help you get that done
0: also, awesome. I love it. Uh, my co-writer for this book was just here, um, because I'm under contract right now, and we just outlined the the segment of the book that's community, mm-hmm. and it's the most important segment. It's it's the, it's what it, the whole thing is about. You know, I've been doing these Black Rifle Coffee engagements and doing these speaking engagements that I've done since the beginning of the company, Filcra Survival. And I've realized it's not—it's um, not even about business. In the big picture, the big picture is you're using a thing which just happens in my case to be preparedness um, to have a positive impact on individuals, but most importantly, bring people together mm-hmm. over that. And it's one of the few um, fields of. Um, collaboration but there's not a lot of toxicity required right right? and there's not a lot of debate in preparedness either you're you are prepared or you're not not, you know and I I find that uh, very fascinating um
1: well and one thing that I would be remiss in leaving out if I didn't mention this looking forward into into next year um you know Sean Kirkwood new to the team here yeah. Uh, at Fieldcraft, I had the opportunity to to meet and talk with him this week and and last week a little bit. Um, we're going to figure out we're going to figure this thing out how to get some mutual benefit between Fieldcraft and Amcon. Yeah. I I know that that has been a challenge, and it's really obvious for someone who is familiar with both to look at us and say, you know, what's the deal going on here? Yeah. And 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 the reality is, you know, we talked about a little bit already. This thing took off so fast and, and we, we, we just now have our infrastructure legs underneath us and we're at a place where we can start talking about this, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to the time where we can list field craft training and products and resources and make them available for our members. And we can, can, um, by doing so, we can let our members fill in some of the gaps with FieldCraft. And I I know one of the things that that Sean wants to work toward is moving from transactional-type relationships where you you buy this course, maybe the one and the two, right? But then what? And, you know, our training plan that we're putting in place and, and some of the stuff that FieldCraft's doing with Responsible Citizen gives our members a path. To follow, and and it helps them build a community. They'll see the same people coming to the classes. They'll they'll see those relationships develop, and say, "Hey, I, I want to be a part of that." And and that's how those communities develop organically.
0: Yeah, um, American contingency is the cart before the horse, and the horse is Phil Crowd survival, and the entire on the pie, you know, on the, the line chart, that's um, how this kind of thing unfolds at the, at the bottom for a reason, cause it's the foundation, it's community. So when you yep. have in the funnel of Philcraft and you have somebody says, Hey, what's this thing called preparedness? And they go top down. They, they go, okay, this is Philcraft and they have online courses, they have free content. Oh, they have physical training then what next, right? Right. What happens when I train in my backyard and progressively I've scaled uh, through the entire line chart of all the progressive things that make me better prepared? Well, the next step for you is joining a community of like-minded and prepared who are doing that and sustaining themselves full-time.
1: You you know, we had a member send me, I had a member send me an email a couple of months ago and she said, um, that you know, as a single mom, preparedness was always something that she knew she needed to do, but was intimidated by it, and because she was intimidated by it, just didn't do it and and she didn't want to look dumb or stupid by not knowing some of this stuff and over the course of her engagement with um with Amcon, she's gone from that that kind of anxious state. To knowing that she never has to be alone that's awesome and that you know that that's a goosebumps kind of thing you know yeah to think that we're having that level of impact on the day-to-day lives of people um you you can go through this progression of training and still feel like you're alone i don't ever want anybody to feel like they have to be alone
0: yeah and that's real stuff right because mm-hmm. you know like if, if <laughs> a lot of people say they have this group or this thing and it could be a social media play page and everybody who's in those DMS or who's commenting and liking, they feel engaged, but it's not real. Right. And so it gives you a temporary sense. It, it, it boosts your morale. It, it gives you that dopamine, but it's not the tangible tethered way that you need to be building real relationships
1: in your community. So, it, you know, it, we both could sit here and talk ad nauseum about this. So without getting into too much brain chemistry, it, it is the dopamine, right? And a lot of people say that they have built these relationships on these dopamine inducing apps, but it's the oxytocin that really makes the difference, mm. right? Oxytocin is what we get through relationships mm. and knowing that we're part of something bigger than ourselves. That's why people have this compelling desire to be something, be part of something, right and and I look I'm going to take ownership of another issue that we've had here at Amcon um the dog tags that go along with the the vetting and and the the members are very anxious to get their dog tag not because it's some little piece of plastic or now stainless steel right it it has nothing to do with the object itself it has to do with what that token represents that I'm part of something and it's that oxytocin dopamine is a short-lived chemical in our brain, right? It's hearing gone in, in seconds. Oxytocin is long lived. So when we hear these stories about the single mom who never has to be alone, that the, the guy who moves to a new city and is, you know, never more than 30 minutes away from somebody who's willing to take him in. Those are oxytocin stories. And that's why they have that, that goose bump, um, cause that goosebump response in our body. We hear that. We feel that in our heart, and we know we want part of that. How can
0: somebody um, who who's listening to this and is compelled to to get involved or, or at least scratch the surface, where, where do they go? AmericanContingency.com. Can we put that in the notes? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know how the...
1: Like- I, I'll, it, maybe, I know if you try to, you, you mentioned it already, you try to tag anything on Facebook, Instagram, most of the platforms with a, even a hashtag, Amcon, or or try to drop an Amcon link, it's going to be no bueno. But, you know, we've made it as simple as possible. Go to AmericanContingency.com.
0: And that can get you the members. And, so. and
1: it's one long scrolling page, right? So everything is right there. Um... I mentioned it before. There's a join now button on there. You can join. And, and I'll tell you up front, you know, one of the reasons behind requiring, um, requiring payment is not because you and I are trying to nickel and dime everybody. What is it, five? It's $5 is the minimum. A month? So we, we have a premium membership that's $5 a month and we have a premium plus membership that's name your own price, $10 or more. Right? Oh, so the premium is five bucks a month premium is five premium plus is $10 or more, whatever you want to pay. And, but by doing that, by, by putting that requirement up front, we have virtually eliminated those the the anonymity of the keyboard commandos, right? Yeah. And all of that cruft, 99% of that cruft is gone now because they, you know, i can go over here to reddit or instagram or wherever and troll people for free i don't want to pay for the privilege of doing it okay fine by me yeah
0: well (laughs) it's um i like the idea of that period because one it i mean we're it's to to build anything and grow and scale anything capital was required Sure. right to do this podcast like i used to love when people would demand of me to do more um when I wasn't getting paid any ads, or I hate these ads, but again, asking for value and and not proposing anything, but it gets us to a point where, where we can help, we could scale, we could build, we could evolve, right? And uh, that seems like a small price to pay, um, when you're paying fifteen dollars, well, for your Netflix and five dollars for your Starbucks, you know? right?
1: This is one cup of coffee a month, yeah. If it's not and and quite honestly, and I, I don't want to sound crass about it, but if it's not worth $5 a month, we don't need you.
0: Yeah. I and, agree. And, yeah. and
1: that's, that's, that's not being cold about it. Yeah. If that's a problem for you, um, you, you know, if, if your finances are such that that's a problem for you, yeah, let me know. Right. Yeah. But the reality is we, <laughs> we probably got $5 of change in the couch. Yeah. Right. Um, I don't want that to be an obstacle to anyone, especially, I mean, cause I know that there are people whose circumstances are, are tough.
0: Yeah. Um, well, that's why it's positioned at five.
1: Exactly. Yeah. That's why it's $5, but to have some skin in the game, we, I mean, there, there's empirical study after empirical study that will show if you give something to people for free, they won't pay attention. Yeah. If you charge them $5, that they will demand you know, more, give me know, more, give yeah, me more. I know
0: this life. I, I, my favorite is, hey guys, we're doing a free seminar and a hundred people show or a hundred people sign up yeah. and nobody shows, shows like up. Five people show up and I'm like, what? Right. And then I, you know, now we do uh, $25 to warrior's heart, but every one of those people show up.
1: Every one of them. Yeah. I paid my money. I, w- I want my value. Yeah.
0: It's super interesting.
1: And, and our goal, just, you know, a word about value. I, I'm, my goal Is to provide so much value for our members that at the end of the month, when they see that transaction come through on their statement, they're like, "Oh man, I I should probably pay more for that." Yeah, you know. Yeah. Look at what I'm getting for five dollars.
0: Yeah, especially all the plans that we have for the future. Right. As we evolve. I mean,
1: look, the expos aren't free, and they're not cheap. Yeah. Um. And and they're not going to be. You know, the admission's not going to be free. There's a small price, and and. But you know, our goal is to provide the resources right the The real life change happens at the ground level in the groups in your community, in your neighborhood watch group I mean you're you worried about about talking to people about starting a preparedness group. see if they'll start a neighborhood watch mm-hmm. right then spend time with those people and you'll find out who's open to it and who's not yeah i, I mean there there's and There are so many uh, approaches that that we share in the content and and in with the group leaders to that effect. Um, You you know, there's a way to to accomplish this. It's more difficult. We I mean we can't tag each other on on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Um, So it makes it more challenging. But I'm up for a challenge.
0: Yeah, that's why we're still in it. Yeah, here we are. How many months later? Uh, About. yeah and so many people have come and gone and for for their own reasons and things have evolved and changed but you know all the stuff that we're talking about it it's not from all the things that we look at which we obviously study this stuff closely and and we're immersed in and even the supply chain right um issue it's not that it's coming it's already an issue um it's going to affect our society and Man, um, you don't have to watch the news for that. You could just read in depth factual information and realize, I hey, mean, this is a different climate.
1: Try to order anything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. And, and it's impacted us. I mean, something as simple as hats. And I, I know Fieldcraft having the same issue, right? Yeah. Who would, who would think that we can't get the base product? A hat. A
0: hat. There's a huge hat. Uh, supply chain yes which is insane
1: i I know it just
0: but that name name every raw material and every major piece or component or vehicles clothing it's there's a demand which we've always had because we're the consumers of the world um but there's a supply chain infrastructure supply raw material issue that could possibly change the way things happen yeah, in the future, which I I I like. I'm that's why I'm having a. That's why we're call doing this. With, yeah, I, I'm looking at cotton gins. I'm looking at um uh, how to um, uh, loom, uh, material, um because it, it it's kind of getting back to the roots of things and, that's how we'll adapt.
1: See, that's exciting to me. I, my mom and I lived with her parents when I was growing up. My granddad was a cotton farmer. Yeah. I spent a lot of time at the cotton gin. Oh,
0: yeah. I'm shopping looms right now. Yeah. It, it's all, all that is fascinating, but it's also kind of the staple of our existence. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, that's self-reliance. Yeah. Right? It's, can I get it cheaper from the other side of the country? Yeah, maybe. But what happens when there's an earthquake, a tornado, a supply, any kind of supply chain interruption? You know, look at, I mean, gasoline's a great example, right? Anything with, well, earlier this summer or spring, we had the Colonial Pipeline was a victim of a cyber attack. Yeah. They shut the whole pipeline down. Yeah. That thing supplies gasoline to the whole Eastern half of the United States, yeah. right? Well, it, if you went out and got in your car that morning and it had a quarter of a tank of gas, um, when you went to get gas, it was probably twice as expensive as it was yesterday afternoon. Mm right? Mm. Now, you know, everybody can't store, you, you know, 20 gallons of gas in their garage. Some places don't like it when you do that. There's mm. some dangers associated with that. But, you know, I'm fortunate enough to have the ability to do that, rotate through that, you know, through my um, lawnmower and, and in the car and whatnot. I looked at that and thought, well, uh, you know, this is, this will last for a week. They mm. have plenty of gas. Right, it, heat. I mean, the the Texas ice storms another great example. Oh, you know, our our heat's natural gas will be fine. Yeah, except you don't have any electricity to blow that heat through the house. Mm. Oh, and by the way, it got cold enough to freeze the natural gas pumps that distribute the gas to your house. Mm. Now, what are you going to do? Yeah, freeze, freeze. Yeah, I didn't have an alternate plan. You didn't
0: have a coat because you're in Texas. <laughs> right, right. <Yeah. laughs> I don't even have long pants in Southern. <laughs> Shout out to Phil Craft survival kit. It's got Mylar space blanket in it. There you go. All right, Tom, got to go. Um, any closing thoughts?
1: Um, you know, I, I encourage people to take a look at what risks they face. We've mentioned it a couple of times here. Um, just think about what the greatest risk to you would be. And sometimes it's a systemic failure. Um a flat tire in and of itself is not a big deal, but a flat tire with no cell service might be a pretty big deal. Especially if you're in Texas in the summer and it's a hundred degrees and you got kids in the car and groceries in the back sitting on top of the spare tire, Mm. right? It, all of a sudden you're, you're having a crisis. Um, what do you do? How are you prepared for that? So just evaluate what your risk profile looks like. We, we have a great tool on the website. Um, I even encourage our group members download that and just talk through these things because you will find gaps in your plan. And no matter how many times you've done it, no matter how many times you've planned a mission, right? You can go over it again and find something that you missed. Yeah. And, or as, um, I always attribute this to Pat and it might've been somebody else, but no plan survives first contact with the enemy, Mm -hmm. right? There's nothing better to test your plan than for something to happen. And we hope that that's not the worst day of your life. But if it is, I want you to be prepared. Mm. And the best place to start for that is AmericanContingency.com. Cool.
0: Good way to end it, man. I appreciate you and appreciate uh, sharing all of your knowledge and experience with this whole journey. And it's just, I think, the beginning. Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. My Thanks. pleasure, man. Anytime. Thanks, man. i to the front end.